you just tuned into the hippest way to start and grow your indie author career, learn the ins, the outs, and all the all-arounds of self-publishing with the team from D2D and their industry-influencing guests. You're listening to Self-Publishing Insiders with Draft2Digital. Hello, and welcome to Self-Publishing Insiders. My name is Mark Leslie Lefebvre. I represent Draft2Digital, and I'm Honored uh, to have in the virtual studio with me today, Angela and Becca from Writers Helping Writers. Ladies, welcome to the uh, the Self Publishing Insiders podcast and and live stream. Thank you. Thanks for Super having us. I I'm so thrilled. I mean, I, I've I've never had a chance to to talk to both of you at the same time. This is this is a pretty extraordinary. So I want to take as much advantage of that as possible. But the first thing I'm really curious to know. Is uh, is your superhero origin story? So the two of you powerhouses that you are of helping writers around the world. Um, how did it all begin? And we're going to do a little the mystical thing as we flash back <laughs> once to take the first cut. <laughs> um, we actually met as critique partners. We met at CritiqueCircle.com, which is an online community for people. They submit, you know, you submit a chapter and people read it and tell you what you think, and then you read their work and. It's just, you know, it's, I always say it's a God thing because there's 10,000 people on that site. We happened to join within a month of each other, found each other, loved each other's work. And from there, we were just kind of joined at the hip. That's how we started was, was critiquing each other's fiction. Really? Wow. Yeah. And, uh, and, and when did, uh, because my understanding is that the first thing you guys did together was the Emotion Thesaurus, was that collaborative book. So you started off critiquing fiction, and yet you ended up releasing a collaborative nonfiction book. Mm -hmm. what, what happened there? Um, we were in this critique group with with some other people, and um, and I had noticed my characters were always shrugging or shuffling their feet, and they were just doing it constantly, and I couldn't figure out how else to show that emotion. And it was just really annoying me. And so I started keeping a list. Uh, okay, here's anger, here's fear, here's happiness, you know, of the different things that I, you know, might do or that I might be able to use for them. And, and I took it to the group and I said, you know, does anybody have this problem? And everybody said, oh my gosh, I hate that. I can't, that's a total problem for me and I don't know how to fix it. So we all started collaborating on, you know, these lists and, and kind of coming up with different um ways of showing different emotions and over time everyone else just kind of they kind of petered out and we're doing other things and angela and i are just like going at it you know creating these lists and then uh that was in 2004 when we met and then in 2008 i uh i was getting ready to take a break from writing because i was pregnant with my first child and angela sent me an email and said hey let's start a blog because, you know, if you're going to be a fiction writer, you need an online presence. And, right. um, and that was uh, that was where we started. She's, she's got such a great, just a, a great head for knowing um, how to do things and what's going to appeal to people. And she said, you know, I really want a blog where the content that we offer is kind of serialized, where people are going to keep coming back for okay. what happens next week. And she said, let's let's take those those lists of emotions and we'll post one each week and we can call it an emotion thesaurus and people will, you know, if they like it, they'll keep coming back. And I was like, okay. So that's what we did. And it just, it just took off. I mean, everybody who saw it had the same response as the people in our critique group. Like I have this problem um, and I don't see anything out there to fix it. Thank you. That was actually the genesis of it. 
Wow. Was that so? What what URL did you use? Was it a WordPress site? Was it Blogger? I mean, because this goes this goes back quite a ways. Where was this? we originally started on Blogger? It was called the Bookshelf Muse, um, and then in two thousand thirteen, when we published the Positive and Negative Trait the Source, which is the next two books in the series on character traits, we moved to WordPress, and that's when we rebranded ourselves and became Writers Helping Writers because. We realized, okay, you know what? We really have something here and we really wanna run with it. So it's time to kind of grow up a little bit branding wise and, and you know, Writers Helping Writers is who we are. It it embodies everything we do. It's what we're passionate about. It It's it's us in a nutshell. And so, you know, we just, we went all in and just branded ourselves that way. And and yeah, it's been, it's been great. Wow, that's fantastic. Now I wanna put up some product placement here because this is, this is just amazing. I mean, I, I remember when the first book came out and then as you guys have continued to, uh, and I guess I should get rid of the little banner there so you can actually see it. Um, the the series that you have that has just dominated um, really intelligent authors bookshelves because th these are the kinds of books that I think it's best to own in paperback, even though I am a digital uh, advocate. Uh, it's, it's, it's one of the ones you're constantly flipping to. So. Did you ever imagine that you would have <clears throat> this many resources that, that you created in that series when you first were creating that blog list all those years ago? I know I didn't. I mean, Angela may have a different answer because she's more of a visionary than I am. But I mean, I remember telling her when we published The Emotion Thesaurus, you know, if we could just make enough money to cover our expenses, I will be so happy, <laughs> you know, and then it just it's just been really, really amazing and surprising. Yeah, I think once we finished the Emotion Thesaurus, we were so excited by how much this was this concept was helping people and how people really gravitated to the idea of having these lists to brainstorm from that um, we thought, okay, what else can we help writers with? And that's always been kind of the function of our blog is that we will start a thesaurus on the blog. So we'll have an idea of a topic that we want to cover something that really digs into show don't tell description because this is something that is threaded throughout you know every aspect of storytelling and for us to really elevate ourselves and to elevate those the the fiction that we're writing we really need to be very 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 good at show don't tell description and so we wanted to really think about how can we activate the different aspects of storytelling in a way that every word that's going into our manuscripts are doing as much as they possibly can. There's no filler, every detail, every description is meaningful and it's pushing the story forward and it's characterizing. And so, you know, we we immediately gravitated to characters because that's where we started. Um, and, uh, you know, we thought about their personality, you know, what can we build to, you know, help writers better craft balanced personalities where characters have negative traits that they have to overcome, but positive traits that are gonna help them interact with other characters and uh, achieve their goals and be part of their identity. Um, we thought about setting and how setting integrates into everything and you can use it to show emotion, you can use it to characterize, you can use it as a backdoor to backstory when it's necessary and you absolutely need to show things. You can create mood and atmosphere and weave in symbolism. And there's just so many things you can do with setting. And so that has kind of always been our passion is to take a topic and think about all the ways it can be used. And, and maybe all the ways that we don't always think about at first as writers. And so we'll do a deep dive into each topic. 
And um, it just, you know, people just kept coming back week after week uh, on our blog and it would become clear which uh, thesaurus collections were kind of the front runners that people were most interested in. And so we kind of uh, developed a routine where we would have a, have a thesaurus being built on the blog. And then while one was being built on a blog, we would take another one and we would develop it into a book. And then all of our thesauruses would go to One Stop for Writers, which is our subscription site. And it's where all of our thesauruses live together in one single database because we have uh, eight books, but Becca and I have been doing, like we've been writing these thesauruses for years and years and years. And so I think, Becca, correct me if I'm wrong, I think we're on number 16 now. Yeah. 16 different thesauruses. So not all of them are all in, uh, in books, but most of them are at One Stop for Writers. Wow. Wow. <clears throat> I, I I love that concept. I have to pause for a second. I'm just going to pop up a compliment from Craig. who says, I love you gals. Aww. Books Aww. so helpful. And and I know uh, that sentiment is echoed throughout the author community. But I want, I, I'm fascinated that it started you know, as you're collaborating and you wanted to put together a blog and create resources that were helpful for writers. And I love that you've continued that because that's still the primary resource, even though, I mean, I often think of, of you ladies and I think of those beautifully branded, that series, <laughs> you know, it's really, really handy for writers to have. But the core of the business is that content. And you said you have 16 uh, titles where you're constantly pushing out material and information that writers can benefit from. Does that the interactivity that you get from a blog and the feedback, does that inform what ends up getting into a book when you actually, you know, decide to put it into a book or how does that, how does that process work? Yeah, we, we, we use the blog as kind of a, what do you call it? A, a vetting system, you know, because we, we have the ideas about, and we usually get our ideas from our own writing. You know, what am I struggling with that? I, I believe other people are struggling with too. Um, that we can maybe offer some some advice or some help with. And so we we do a thesaurus at the blog and we kind of see what the reception is. You know, if we see that it's it's eh, you know not maybe as uh, exuberant as some of the others, um, then maybe that one just lives online instead of being made into a book. Or sometimes the the entries are really good, but we just can't kind of see how that that particular topic can can hold the weight of a whole book in terms of all the front matter that we would write for it. and and everything else. And so that's why we have, um, you know, we have some that are published and, and some that are not, but the blog is a deliberate, it has become kind of a tool for us um, from that regard. We obviously use it to connect with people and, and love to connect with people there, but it's a really good way of determining um, what our, our audience wants and what they need and what they wanna see. I love that, I love that. I also, and you mentioned this, and I want I want to dig into this for a minute. Take a little bit of an aside because I'm I'm very fascinated with this. Is you started this off to help with your writing? You thought, what do we need? What what are the tools? What are some of the lists and things we're creating that are going to help us? Therefore, chances are there's probably this can help other writers, and and that's part of the genesis. So I want to take a pause then and say, so since you started this venture, which I can imagine is very all-consuming, very. Yeah, it takes a lot of your time and energy. Um, what about your personal writing? That's not necessarily writing. Writers helping writers <laughs> writing. Are, are you still able to do any of that? In a perfect world. Yeah. <laughs> 
I we think really... because, oh, sorry, Becca, no, you go, no, ahead. go ahead. No, no, go ahead. Um, I, I think, yeah, as this business evolved and as we really started seeing, you know, just the, the response from people and the requests, you know, can you please write about this? Can you write about this? Um, we realized that if we really wanted to do this well, we had to dedicate ourselves to it. And it meant putting our fiction on hold. Wow. And then I think that definitely doubly came uh, true when we started One Stop for Writers because it's an entire other ecosystem that you know we're responsible for all the IP and managing the business and all that kind of stuff. And so it's, it's like having two full-time jobs and then there's the teaching component, which is a third, you know, job. So unfortunately, you know, we both understand that right now for us to do this well in a way that really honors the people that have, you know, been with us and constantly, you know, um, support us by recommending our books and telling people about the guides and telling people about our sites. You know, we want to do right by them. And that means really you know, focusing on the work that's in front of us and coming back to writing when it's a good time for us. I think if we tried to take it on right now, it would be too much and we would get very frustrated and 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 then we're not, you know, we're not we're not doing anyone any good and we're not doing ourselves any good. So sometimes it's better to just make decisions about um, cutting things down and reallocating your time until you can better dedicate yourself to to the other things. Wow. Well, thank you for taking that personal sacrifice to help other writers. But I guess that is uh, priorities, right? Is that that priorities are a thing writers often have to deal mm. with, right? You only have so much time. And what are you going to dedicate your time to? Well, and we love helping writers. Like, you know, this is, it's funny because this whole thing was an unintended career path that we went on. <laughs> but, you know, Becca, before she became a writer, she was a teacher. And so, you know, teaching and helping, like, this is a big, piece of who she is both both professionally and personally and and me as well you know i i really love being able to help people in whatever capacity i can so this is incredibly rewarding and you know yeah there's a little piece of me sad that i can't work on my own fiction right now but i know i'm going to come back to it when the time is right so it's all good and to speak to your comment about um you know prioritizing i i know that that i think that's a huge struggle for for writers everywhere because so many writers are not just writers they're doing other things they're raising families they have day jobs they're involved in in so many things that it, and it's all you know important stuff so how do you find that time and you know that's been a big part of our evolution over time is just you know when we started things were pretty simple we had one book and we put it out there and we were marketing it and then you know, other books came up and then we started getting invitations from people or, or emails, you know, we'd like to partner with you here or can you come and do this? And pretty soon we were having totally different discussions, you know, in our Skypes together about how, how do we, you know, how do we do it all? You know, I really want to do this. This is so good. It would be so good for our business. It would provide a new way to, to reach out and help people. And, but, but I don't see how we can. And, you know, we had to put together a business plan um, at, at, some point to kind of solidify, you know, what our goals and our priorities were and to provide a framework for us to be able to say, I can't, I can't say yes to this because it just doesn't, it doesn't align with what we're, we're doing, even though it's really good. I have to focus on these things in order for, for us to be successful. And I think that it, you know, a lot of people get to that point and it's so terrifying, like, cause as writers, so few of us are business people. Um, and it's like a totally different way of thinking, but I think that's a that's key um, 
if you get to a point where you need to do that, you've got to make the time to figure out how to prioritize all those opportunities. I'm, I'm glad you mentioned that because that is so critical. I know uh, relatively recently, I think I, I reached out to wonderful ladies to, to see if you wanted to participate in a particular promotion uh, for, for the books. And, and you took a look at it and went, ah, no, this goes against whatever business principle. It's going to, we're going to lose out on this if we, if we participate in that. So thanks for the invite, but not. So uh, one of the things that I, I really respected about, uh, about you saying no to me, but, but uh, is that you, you didn't just say, oh, we like Mark. We've, we, you know, we, you know, we, we hung out with him. We, he's got a cool bald head, any of those things. You looked at it from a business perspective, not a personal one and went, doesn't make business sense. And I think writers need to learn from that, that sometimes it's okay to say no, because it may not may not fit the big plan, right? Yeah. I think everything changed for us once we built a business plan. And I know talking about business plans is totally not sexy at all. <laughs> uh, it, is, it is not, you know, and, uh, it, and it scares people too. They're like, oh, a business plan, that sounds really complicated and it's gonna hem me in. And, especially us free spirited creatives, you know, like, ah, I don't want to do that. But I think back, I would agree. Everything changed for us once we started following that plan um, because it just simply, it, it made sure that our yearly goals were always in the windshield and anything that came up, anything that could potentially be an opportunity or sidetrack us, that was the litmus test. Is it pushing our goals forward or isn't it? Right. And, you know, it was just amazing how much more we started to get done once we started doing that. And it does mean having to evaluate and say no to some things, you know, uh, and sometimes, too, you also have to understand, like, if you're overcommitted and you've got too many things going on, right. even if it's a great opportunity, you have to be willing to say no or, you know, you're going to burn yourself out, which is another big thing that we face because there's a lot to juggle as authors with the marketing and the promotion and the writing the books and engaging with, um, you know, your audience and all that kind of stuff. So I think, I think fiction writers would probably agree with you as well, because it's kind of like, yeah, I throw out 10 ideas a day because I only have time to work on, right. I can only commit myself to so many projects. So I love that. I do have to add this uh, comment from Alyssa who says, what? Business <laughs> totally sexy. <laughs> we needed Alyssa's help when we were yes. putting all this together. <laughs> and 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 Lexi adds to that, of course, the comment that business is the only sexy that's uh, that isn't not safe <laughs> for work. <laughs> so I want to dig into some of the logistics because um, you have a company uh, that you run together, and I know one of you is American and the other one is Canadian. And so how, I'm, I'm just curious about the logistics, A, of the collaboration, because you're in different cities, you talked about Skype calls, but how did that work in terms of incorporation? And I know none of us are lawyers, but just for authors who are thinking, wow, I really like to collaborate with this person. And how do you guys make that work? Um, well, we had to, gosh, we took like a crash course in figuring out all of that um, because there were so many different ways we could have gone. But the the gist of it was that, it made more financial tax sense for us to to um, set up house in in the United States. So okay. that's what we did um, based on just some different you know information that we received. And we have always um, worked via email. You know, before Skype was really a thing, we were just emailing back and forth. You know, talking about ideas. Right. Um, passing manuscripts back and forth. And, you know, it seems like really cumbersome now, but 
it totally with, wasn't with the that AOL was... discs that came in the mail you were using that yeah. to <laughs> <laughs> oh gosh the dial up um but yeah uh and then we once once you know skype came on board then we were able to talk and, and save a lot of time and back and forth just in discussing things but angela and i have such a a synergy um it's very very easy for us to work together it just it's just really seamless. I mean, we are very compatible. She has strengths um, that complement my weaknesses and vice versa, you know? So we each bring certain things to the table and we have such an easy trust and respect for each other that, you know, she's in charge of marketing. I'm gonna let her do that. I'm not gonna, you know, nitpick and try to be involved in all of those conversations and decisions, you know? And and she does the same thing for other parts of the business that, that, that I've, kind of taken on and and that kind of collaboration has just made it super easy for us to work together. It helps that we have kind of the same aesthetic too in terms of what we're writing. You know, we we see things very similarly in the the ways that you need to be similar. You know, we're different in the important ways, but then we are we see eye to eye on the on the important things too. Um and and that's made it super easy. Yeah, and I think too, uh, what probably helped us with seeing things a similar way is early on when Beck and I met, we took it a year, I think it was about a year, and we decided uh, that we we needed to learn writing craft uh, just to improve our own writing. It's funny because when we first started, joined Critique Circle, we sort of thought, oh yeah, my, I'm pretty good, you know, like this won't take very long to get, you know, just polish me up a little and publish. And oh, how naive you are, you know, when you first start out. So we we realized, okay, yeah, maybe there's some stuff we don't know here. So uh, we took a year and we each wrote, we each read the same craft book at the same time. And then we would talk about it. And so if there was something that I didn't understand, chances are Becca caught it or vice versa. And so I think that that really helped us sort of guide our ideas of what strong writing was and how to present it to other people which really lends itself well when we are collaborating on these different um, guides. Typically what we'll do um, for a book is once we've decided what the framework is, first we'll decide, you know, what is the most important aspects of a topic? You know, say emotions, you know, writers need to know the body language, they need to know thought process, visceral sensations, vocal cues, all of those kind of things so that they've got a good database of things to brainstorm when they're thinking about what's going to fit my character in this situation. And so, you know, we'll, we'll create that framework, we'll decide which emotions we're going to cover, and then we split those lists in half and we each cover half. Um, and we do the same thing with all the teaching content, the front matter that we, as we call it, um, for our books, you know, we'll go through, we'll outline what we want to talk about, we each take half, we each write it, and then we swap and edit. And so by the time it's done, you wouldn't be able to point to an entry or a particular area in the front matter and say, oh, Becca definitely wrote this or Angela wrote that. You just, you can't tell who wrote what just because we both lent our ideas by that point in time. So um, yeah, it works really well. Uh, the, you know, and it's amazing too, because Becca and I've only met four times in person. <laughs> it's just crazy, yeah. Is there a picture from each time you've met in person? I, I've seen at I, least one of them. I think there is. Okay, good. Yeah, I think most of them, yeah, we did. There's yeah. one of us in the stocks, I remember. The yeah, first time Disney. we met, we were in Disneyland, or uh -huh. Disney World, I should say. Uh, and on a carousel, and... Uh, yeah, and then we have two from when we spoke together. Conferences, yeah, yeah. 
So anyway, it's it's kind of hilarious, yeah. So I, I, I'm, I'm always curious to dig into the logistics about this. So you've created this company together, uh, this entity. How did you decide to pursue publishing? Like, what were the logistics mm. of that? Did you go out and find an agent, find a publisher? Did you did you indie publish? Was it a combination? How did you go about this? Well, we with the Emotion Thesaurus, it was so well received um, and everyone was saying, I need a physical copy of this. Can you please turn this into a book? And so we're like, oh, okay, we can do that. Let's, you know, let's publish this book. And we had always been, um, you know, uh, uh, enamored with the traditional model. You know, that was kind of what we came up understanding and knowing. And, and so that's what we were going to do, you know? So we started looking into getting an agent and figuring all of that out. And we started seeing, the emotion thesaurus entries like popping up on people's sites where they were just basically lifting it and putting it on their sites. And we said, oh, shoot, you know, somebody is going to publish this before we can get an agent and then wait the 18 months, you know, before our book is published and then we're we're going to be screwed. Right. So we said, gosh, can can we self publish? I mean, we were like had zero idea, had never looked into it. We couldn't, uh, you know, kind of wrap our brains about that. Plus at the time in 2012, there was still a fair amount of stigma around self-publishing. Um, and so we were really, really nervous about kind of going that direction, but it became very clear that that was the only reasonable option for us. We, we could not wait. And so it's like the story of our, of our career. I mean, we just, okay, let's learn about self-publishing now. And we both kind of dove into that and figuring out, you know, where to distribute and how to format and, um, the business side of that, you know, and how to take care of all of the, the, the financial everything. And, um, it was terrifying. We were just felt like we were completely in over our heads in the process. I remember I had a, I had a three and a two year old at the time at home when I was editing, um, the emotion thesaurus. And I, one of them had a, a fake thermometer stuck in my mouth and one of them had a uh, a blood pressure cuff, you know, and I'm like trying to publish this book with, you know, two toddlers. It was, it was insanity. And I remember thinking, what have we done? But we just, you know, we put our heads together and we figured it out. And that's kind of, that's kind of how we did it. I think too, we had to, um, we had to talk ourselves off the ledge a little bit with, uh, with self-publishing because, at the time, like Becca said, 2012, there was stigma, but there was, we were publishing a book in a space where there were very few self-published books. In fact, the dominant books were, you know, they were Writer's Digest books. They were writing guides by best-selling authors, by, uh, you know, high-profile agents, by editors. And then there's Becca and I like, hey, let's publish a book that doesn't look like anything else out there. I'm sure this will be fine. <laughs> and, uh, you know, because we were like, that's the other piece of the puzzle is that we were bringing a new format to the market. We were we were calling something a writing guide that was not a traditional format that people were used to. So it was a little bit of a gamble. But we had had enough feedback from people who visited our blog, who would write to us that, you know, like, this is so helpful that we thought, you know, what's, what's the risk other than, you know, someone pirating it, which did happen. You know, we did have someone from the Florida Association of Writers ask us to come speak about the emotion thesaurus because they had a copy and we're like, 
what? <laughs> <laughs> Somebody had turned it into a PDF and they were distributing it. So wow. obviously that shut down very fast. But yeah, it was very intimidating for us to put ourselves out there as writing experts when you know, we weren't editors, we weren't best-selling authors, we weren't even fiction authors. Like we didn't, I think at that point in time, we had, uh, I, I had sold a few articles and magazines and that's all. And so it took a lot of, there was a lot of imposter syndrome I think we had to work through and, right. you know, worry as we were kind of like putting our book on the shelf among all these other, you know, really fantastic guides. But I'm really glad we did. I have no regrets. You know, it's just been such a great experience and it's nice to have the control um, and and our vision is what's on the page. And I love that. I love that part of self-publishing. Awesome. Well, I have to pop up a few more comments. Craig says, I have most of your books in print. And uh, Simone says, uh, a request, hardback copies. And, and I'm putting in a, please, please. My, my paperback copies are just battered, obviously, because they're such useful resources. Uh, any plans for uh, hardcover editions? Or is that just extra work where you go, oh, the work involved means we can't do this other thing? We've never actually, we've never actually talked about hardcovers. Um, I think at this point, it's one of those things where we could take the time to, you know, to to go back and, and distribute our books in hardcover, or we could probably put out a, a new book. And I think that that would be more helpful. Um, I'm so sorry, Simone. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and that's again, where that whole, you know, trade off uh, having to prioritize um, what's going to take time and, and and what's the what the benefit is going to be. Right. Okay. We need clones. Clones. <laughs> if anybody has clones, let us know. <laughs> well, I'm not even going to talk about this comment about asking for spiral bound copies uh, so that it can lay flat on their desk. Because <laughs> again, that, 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 that would that's be even super way helpful. more work. That right? would be. Art cover is just a different cover. You can use the same interior as the trade paperback, but let's not go there. That's logistics. <laughs> Um, now you have, so on top of these amazing books that everyone's drooling over, on top of the, uh, the blog that you have and, and the resources, you have, uh, I counted I more than 15 free resources uh, on your website that are meant to, to help uh, writers out. Can you, can you talk, about, um, talk about some of those free resources and why you put them together? Well, a lot of them are from our books, like our books, um, they have not only do they have the teaching content that kind of goes over what is the most important stuff that you need to know about X topic, whether it's setting emotions, uh, whatever the topic is, um, and then the entries themselves. Becca and I are, uh, you know, our, bri our brains kind of, we like to be creative and, and think about how, um, how to create tools that are going to help people digest this information better. And so every book usually contains a few uh, appendix tools okay. where, um, you know, it, it just, it takes that content and it puts it in a, in a way that people can brainstorm even more easily. And so we like to always make those available to people um, after they've been published, we put them on the site and we create blanks. So, you know, if you have the paper copy or you have the ebook copy, obviously if you have an ebook, it's kind of hard to fill out. So you can just quickly download it. You don't even need the books. Um, and you can just download these things and it'll help you brainstorm those aspects of of, uh, of whatever the topic is. And um, I don't know, it's, it just, it aligns with who we are. We're helpful. This helps people. Why wouldn't we do it? And so that's how we look at stuff. I mean, there's a ton of free stuff at Writers Helping Writers, just a ton of it. Um, and, and it's just because it, 
that's who we are. You know, that's just who we are. We just like to give this stuff away. So. Awesome. Well, thank you for that. So uh, we're now in the last, uh, within the last 15 minutes, I'm going to try and pop up some of the comments that have come in from our, our live audience. Um, so Lexi says, I know I absolutely know the pain of wondering how uh, often I've used uh, my go-to character micro actions. And so there are even some free resources that you have available uh, for some of those things. I, I made a note of, I mean, I love the character arc progression, uh, mm. which, which is, you know, obviously very, very important, but there's so many uh, occupational speed dating, <laughs> which is kind of cool. So you can uh, try out uh, different things for your characters. I, I mean, I love, I love, I love how, I mean, you started with emotion, obviously, but I love how you have all of these multi-layered dynamics that are really about creating more authentic characters and settings, which really lends to, to much better fiction. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, that's just me rambling uh, while I'm looking for the next uh, the next question. Um, <laughs> Simone says, thanks for your content. I use the Emotion Thesaurus every day. Your urban and rural settings, the thesauri, aren't far behind. What what did that one come from, the the, the rural urban settings? We did, uh, we did Emotions, and then we both knew we wanted to do character traits um, because characterization is so hard, developing those realistic and well-rounded characters. And so those were next. And then we were, again, thinking, okay, what what do we need? And we we realized, you know, settings are, they're kind of hard because they're either overdone and way too long, way too much description, and they're really boring. Or they're an afterthought where, you know, the, the author's using settings that they personally think are really cool, but they don't really have anything to do with the story. Or they're just grabbing, you know, whatever's convenient. And that was why we decided to tackle settings. And there were so many um, that we decided we had to have two different volumes. And so we split them up into urban and rural. And we were really looking at, you know, um, all of the, the importance of, of getting the descriptions in a multi-sensory way. And so it's not just what you see, it's what you hear and what you taste and what scents there are. And so we actually visited as many settings in the book as we could to really do research and, and, and nail down what those different um, sensory experiences were. I remember taking my kids, we went to the marina, we went to the train station, you know, we went to all these different places one summer. That was, I think, one of the funnest books for me in writing because it wasn't really heavy and deep you know it was being able to get out and just just kind of experience on different places the low point was when i i took them to the liquor store because i had to i had to research that and i've got my three and my four-year-old like sit here by the door and just be cool I'm, i'll be right back it's for research i swear but um that was really where that came from was again recognizing settings you know that's something that uh it, a lot of people struggle with and they don't even know that they're struggling with it, that their stories would be so much stronger if you just spend a little more time working on the setting. And that was the genesis for that. I got arrested for that one. That's right. What? I did. Because uh, one of the settings... the liquor store? <laughs> no, 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 no. One of my settings that, that okay. I was assigned was the back seat of a police car because we thought a lot of fiction, you know, takes place, okay. the characters in the back seat. So I needed to get authentic detail. And um, here I knew a couple police officers and they were happy to put me in the back seat of a police car, um, but I wanted to be handcuffed and they oh, weren't willing to do like, that. Yeah, okay. Yeah, because I needed to know, like, what does it feel like? Where, you know, where does it pull? Where does it pinch? Because I want to be able to write this detail correctly. 
And so I found officers who would handcuff me and put me in their vehicle. I found officers that would put me in the back seat of a police car and not handcuff me, but not anyone who would do both. And um, so I was uh, I was heading to uh, my relative's place up in Fort St. John, BC um, to help someone move. And I was telling my, uh, um, my stepmother-in-law uh, this problem that I had, who she happens to be the mayor of a city up there. And um, I didn't know this, but she's like, don't worry, Angela, we'll get you set up. <laughs> so we had went out for a family dinner. And after the dinner was over, I was supposed to be getting a ride with uh, my stepsister-in-law uh, to go to the jail to, um, you know, view the jail cells and all that kind of stuff. What I didn't know is they had set up a false arrest for me where I was pulled over and a police officer came and, uh, you know, said, made this story up about a jewelry store being broken into in our car, you know, um, being the same make and model and that there was a warrant out for my arrest. And so right there on the side of the road next to a sleazy hotel, you know, he handcuffed me and then I do the walk of shame to the police officer's car. So, I mean, it was awesome because I really got to experience it all. Like, even though I knew this was all fake, um, it's amazing, like the anxiety you feel, you know, being handcuffed and then being put into the into the police car. And, and uh, you know, he was really great. He answered all my questions. The one thing that I, I said to him was that I think, like, one thing I'm confused about is that it actually smells better back here than I thought it would. <laughs> and he said, well, this is because we don't transport uh, prisoners in this vehicle. Do you want to smell one that like is? <laughs> and I mean, like, that's the conversation we're having. So I'm like, yeah. And then uh, that was more of what I expected. And then, yeah, he even, he even sprayed pepper spray in a snowbank so I could sniff it so that I could get that detail right. Like, oh, it was wow. great. Not in so, your face. Are they surprised? No, not, around, yeah, I, you know, I have a line. I have a line for, for okay. my accuracy, but yeah. I love I love the authenticity. So I have I have a good friend who's a police officer locally here, and prior to the pandemic, there were a few times where uh, we had uh, planned on me doing an overnight ride along, so I could just uh, be with uh, him and his partner, and and just kind of witness, so I could just better get a better understanding. Unfortunately, that there are often some restrictions with uh, certain police forces where, uh, for public safety, they, uh, they they disallow it for a while, and then something mm -hmm. happens, and then they allow it again. So I was just waiting for that again when the pandemic hit. Oh. <laughs> but he he had told me stories about you are responsible as a police officer for cleaning out the back, uh, all of the things mm -hmm. that happen in the back seat. Where um, and and another uh, friend of mine who's a resource officer for local schools when we were there uh, at the school doing an event together, uh, she showed me uh, the back seat in detail. And and in 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 the regional police force. The seats are not actually a cushion; they're just plastic, which yeah. makes closing it down because yeah. there's all kinds of bodily fluids that end up in, yeah. in there. It just makes cleaning it so much easier. And obviously, there's no handles, right? It's yeah. all like this weird, smooth. Is, is is that what you found when they threw you in the? Oh, bed? yeah. And the and what I was surprised by is how there's no room. Like I would hate to be a tall man. Like like it would be awful for you. So don't get arrested, okay? Yeah, they because haven't thrown this, me in there yet. <laughs> they don't give you any leg room because they're purposely trying to restrict movement back there. And so you know, I'm I'm five eight, but I was just like, wow, you're really squished in here. I can't imagine what it would be like for a, a larger man. So um, yeah, anyway, it was it was really neat and fantastic, and they were great answering all my weird questions. So. Wow. That's the best part of it being a writer, right? Is we can investigate weird stuff and we totally get a pass. It's like, yeah. oh, she's a writer. 
It's all yeah. good. Lexi says it's it's for research is the ultimate author excuse for everything. Right? I'll find my browse history. So good. That's so right. good. Exactly. Um, that's fantastic. Uh, I have to I have to pop up a few comments. Uh, Sasha says legends care of you. That's who you are, uh, and you are legends. Uh, so thank you for that. What what are some of the because you help so many writers and and, you, and you've got the interactive stuff on your website and blog. What are some of the things that you wish beginning writers uh, would, would better understand that you'd lo love to help them understand? What are some of the things that you just say, well, I really want writers to know this? I would say I would just want people to, to have more grace with themselves. I think so many authors start out and expect to you know, be able to write like their favorite authors. Um, and that obviously doesn't happen. And it's a, it's a long process, you know, as you learn and grow and, and study and practice, um, it's, it's a long slog. And I think that a lot of people give up too early. Um, mm -hmm. and so I would, you know, just want people to know it, it takes a long time and that's okay because every word that you write, every book that you work on, every idea that you explore is part of the learning curve. You are growing, you are learning as you are exploring all of those Kind of different steps of the process you know people get really upset about having to cut material out of their draft because you know i wrote this and you know it's a waste of time no that there's actually value in learning what to keep and what to cut you know i mean there's mm -hmm. just every the, as you are writing and revising and and doing whatever you're doing along the way it's all a, a learning experience and if you can just look at it that way and soak it all in um it's a lot easier it doesn't you know, feel like it's taking so long. Um, so that would be my advice is just to, to recognize that it, it's just, it takes a while and that's okay. It takes everybody a while. I love that. And I totally agree. And I think the big thing to tie on to Becca's is to not be in a rush. Like mm -hmm. I see so many writers just trying to rush their learning process, rush to get a book out, rush it through editing. Um, you know, and rush to get it up on different sites. And for me, you know, then I also see the frustration. Oh, it's not selling. Oh, this, that, the other thing. And it's just, I mean, in a lot of cases, you know, I mean, there's a lot of factors that, that could be involved in that. It could be a bad cover. It could be a bad blurb. You know, it could be not understanding who one's audience is and how to find them and, you know, position your book properly. But a lot of times it's the writing itself because it's been rushed and just not publishing shouldn't be a race. And we shouldn't we shouldn't get wrapped up in that mindset of looking at everyone around us that are, you know, publishing books and publishing books. That's their journey. And that's awesome for them. But we need to think about our journey and what's best for us and how to put the best book possible out. And I think that's why Becca and I you know, really are so passionate about what we do is we understand there's a huge learning curve. We're always learning more stuff as we go along and we love it, but we want to shorten that learning curve for other people as much as we can um, because we understand that there is this incredible pressure to sort of publish and people really need to just sort of, like Becca said, give themselves some grace, you know, take a breath and realize this is a process. If we want to write really strong fiction, it is going to take time and practice and that's okay. It, it doesn't need, we don't need to publish immediately. Fantastic. I love that. I love that. I'm going to come back to one final question from, uh, from the live audience. So Craig asks, 
um, going back to fiction, do you all write the same genre? Uh, when you get back to fiction, uh, do you think you guys may uh, co-author fiction together, which may only work if you weren't writing the same genre? What, what, what were the genres you were working on before this happened? Um, it, well, Angela was writing mostly middle grade and I was writing young adult. Um, I wrote historical fiction. We both wrote fantasy. She wrote, you know, things that tended to be a little bit creepier um, in a good way. Uh, but as time goes on, I mean, when we do get back to fiction, I ha I'm, I'm certain that our, our kind of preferences will have shifted, you know, and that we will not be writing the same exact things that we were writing before. So I don't know, you know, it's anything is possible. Um, who knows? Yeah, I kind of agree with Becca. Like I, I know so much more now than I did back then, which makes me excited to write fiction again, because I just understand storytelling so much more. And a lot of things that were intuitive. Um, now I have the knowledge behind why I did certain things, which is always exciting. Um, but yeah, I kind of, what I worry about when we go back to fiction is the pressure. Um, mm -hmm. You know, okay, now we're writing experts or, you know, that's what people think of us. So we can't screw up. We can't, you know, it has to be perfect. And that kind of pressure is going to be awful. So I suspect that probably when I go back to fiction, I might try something just for Angela in a totally different genre that I've never written in right, um, right. just to get myself back into the flow and cut myself some slack so that I don't feel all this pressure that it has to be perfect and just, you know, fall in love with the process again and uh, enjoy what I, applying what I've learned. As to co-authoring, I think it'd be awesome to co-author a book with Becca, but I guess we would have to see, you know, where our kind of, where we land as far as what we want to write and if we think that that could work. I don't know. So who knows? And it would be a totally different process, co-authoring fiction and then, and then nonfiction, you know, I yeah. mean, there's a lot of, there's a lot more of the um, creative decisions that would have to be made that, you know, I may be really excited about this and Angela may be really excited about that. You know, as an author, you kind of feel ownership over so much of in the fiction story, the creative choices that are made. And I, I would guess there would be a, a lot more uh, potential for, you know, friction or, or just yeah. uh, not seeing eye to eye with that. Um, than there is with nonfiction. Yeah, nonfiction, you can kind of split it and go your separate ways and get your stuff pounded out. But yeah, when you're writing a story, I mean, each decision you make on the go, it's going to impact everything else that comes or what came before. And so it would be more tightly woven collaborative process. I, I, I guess we would have to study what other people do and, and, and pick something that we think would work for us. Yeah, awesome. Well, I have to say this last comment from Jody says, love your vibe ladies really enjoying the conversation so thank you so much for sharing your experience uh thank you for writers helping writers.net uh, and thank you guys uh for watching uh live just want to remind people uh to subscribe if you're following us on uh, youtube just click that little subscribe uh and and we do often have on thursdays uh maybe once or twice a month fantastic conversations with insiders from the industry to help inform and inspire you in your writing journey. You can follow us over on Facebook as well and check out drafttodigital.com slash live. Angela, Becca, thank you again so much for spending the time with me here today. Well, thank, thank you, Mark, you. for having us on. All right, well, that concludes uh, this episode of Self-Publishing Insiders. Thanks, uh, ladies, and thank you guys for watching live and uh, have a great afternoon. Bye-bye.
That's it for this week's Self-Publishing Insiders with Draft to Digital. Be sure to subscribe to us wherever you listen to podcasts and share the show with your will-be author friends. And start, build, and grow your own self-publishing career right now at draft2digital.com.